Blog Talk Radio.
Good afternoon, everyone. That was James Brown talking about living in America. And we're going to talk about living in America today, the good and the bad. I hope everyone had a restful Memorial Day weekend, a good start back, first uh, week of summer is usually what uh, Memorial Day represents for many, uh, for most of us who have served and for friends and family of those who serve. This is a time of reflection and remembrance. Well, we're going to continue that theme of reflection and remembrance today as we talk about an event that happened almost 100 years ago, not quite, but almost 100 years ago, and that is the massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Many of you know it as Black Wall Street. We're going to talk about that today and the potential impacts of it to date, as well as maybe what we can and how we can use it to propel us beyond what even they accomplished at Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Black Wall Street. We're also going to talk about the Las Vegas Black, that's right, Las Vegas had its own Black Business Expo, and it was this this week, Wednesday, or excuse me, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And it was full of information and very valuable people. And I want to share some of the information that I received from it. Hopefully we'll get some callers and share some of their information. And how that relates to Black Wall Street and maybe how it can inspire us to do a little bit more than what we have been doing. Because we can always do more. At least that's what that's what my mother used to tell me, Rod, you can always do a little bit better. So we're going to talk about that uh, today. And I hope that you'll give us a call and share a little bit of what you may know about Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as well as what you're doing for business, because that's typically what we think of when we think of Black Wall Street is uh, business, and very much that was a large part of it. But at the time, it was really just living. But it was how they lived. And then after the massacre, it's how they responded to it that I think are so many lessons for all of us today. So I hope that you all will stay tuned, call a friend, share it with someone, and maybe get some more people in the discussion as we talk about the rise of Black Wall Street and then the massacre. But it did rise again. And we are going to talk about the Las Vegas Black Business Expo, which hopes to take a page from Black Wall Street and bring it right here to Las Vegas. Let me tell you a little bit about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. 
some of the ways we go about doing this is with shows like Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a spinoff of Our Own Voices, the print and digital magazine. Our Own Voices Live and Our Own Voices in general have collaborated with other folks across the nation. We have Brother Thomas Perry in the Twin Cities area that broadcasts Rant Radio. Brother brings it to you straight with no chaser and a slightly different flavor then you'll find that our own voice is live, but it really is our variety that is the spice of life. <laughs> Just inhale and take it all in. And then, of course, we have Brother Levon with Real Radio, Radio Established to Address Life. A younger brother brings that younger flavor with it, but he also tries to cover every topic. He said there's no limit to what he talked about. And, of course, we have the one and only Mrs. Angela Thomas with Needle on the Record and the one who helped start this whole thing. And she talks about pop culture, music. Uh, she has a segment on, I'll save that title for her, but it deals with uh, what is called reality TV, which is quite the popular segment. So look for those posts on Facebook and Twitter as they make announcements for each of those shows. And then, of course, you have our own voices live right here. And one of the things that we also try to do is do events in the community. Uh, we have an upcoming uh, book drive. As a matter of fact, I believe this is our third annual book drive, trying to get 10 books uh, in the hands of 1,000 students and for the summer to help enhance their summer reading program. But we're also, not only do we do a book drive to get some books, but we're also having a book fair to give away the books to those young people and not only give them away to young people, but for those maybe young at heart, we also want you to get books too, and we have books for you because if our young people see you reading, they will read also. And reading is so important and the foundation of so much that we do in life. And that book drive and that book fair is important because the book drive is from people just like you, and the book fair is to give it to people who may not have as much as you but you're able to share what you have with them so that we can all rise. It's not trickle down. It's us rising together. We also do the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. candlelight vigil at the Dr. King statue at Martin Luther King and Cary Avenue right here in Las Vegas. And the reason why that's so important is to keep the dream alive, not just keep his dream alive, but to also help you realize your dream and bring that to fruition. I believe that's very important that we have to dream. We have to look and see more than what we have today, even if we're doing well. You know, this is not a question of the haves and have-nots, but it's a question of all of us having it. And if we focus on that, I truly believe for those who have, if we solidify our base and then help those who are less fortunate, then it will improve us as a community of people and as a nation, and oh, just think how much better we would all be if we focused on what we have in common and not our differences. So that gives you a just a touch, a taste, things that our own voices uh, has done in the community. Uh, hopefully, we'll continue to do the type of collaborations that we're looking for. We're not looking for a fight. There's plenty of people who are willing to fight. Uh, we believe that we're looking for forward momentum. Uh, we like to, and I like to use the analogy as the train leaves at 8, and this is the destination of the train. All aboard is coming aboard, but at 8 o'clock we're leaving. 
And if you're a little late, I hope you can run fast because the train does start out slow. But once it gains momentum, look out because we're coming through. And we want to get to a destination. Hopefully you can meet us there. Or if we do happen to make a return trip, then you will be ready to jump aboard this train and we can use what you have to offer to throw in the mix and make it a little bit better. But the train is leaving at 8. Enough of our introduction. Now it's time to get down. Let's get down. We have Brother James lighting it up for us, and I could have just as easily put the Gap Band, and you'll find out why that's appropriate, with, uh, I think it's you dropped a bomb on me, because when we talk about Black Wall Street, we are talking about people having a bomb dropped on them, and it wasn't the bomb that you may think about when you hear that song on by the Gap Band. I like to do this show every year, and it has become a staple. It is our show that we do every year. This show wouldn't even exist had it not been for the thought of it and then the encouragement by my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas. Angela, welcome to the show. Hey, what's good, Rodney? Hey, world, how are you doing? It's another fine Saturday upon us. Bright and sunny in Las Vegas once again. The heat button has been pushed. It's hot. So long, nice weather. We, we've been, you know, I know other parts of the country have been going through some things, and we're praying for you guys. But it's been rather nice in Vegas, but someone has went and hit the hot button, and now it's hot. So. Well, the good thing is is that it's just the hot button and not the on-fire button, because about <laughs> July, that button will be pushed whether we are ready for it or want it or not. Or not, I tell you. I'm heading uh, to Austin, Texas, to take part in the Blogging Wild Brown conference uh, later on this month, the 19th and the 20th. And uh, I haven't been to Texas in a while. I hate Texas. Everybody that's listening to us down there in uh, <laughs> in. Texas. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Austin and having a good time and enjoying uh, um, all my fellow uh, brown bloggers. But I'm not looking forward. I, one thing I do remember about Texas is that nice humidity and hopefully the weather and everyone, um, you know, hopefully the weather will be be cleared up by the by the 20th of uh, June, 19th and 20th of June. But uh, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. Well, Angela, you're going to be down in Texas at a very important uh, date with June 19th, be mm-hmm. uh, Juneteenth. Juneteenth, and, yes. uh, Very important date for us collectively as a people and really as a nation. So a great time to be in Texas, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to getting some good down-home uh Texas barbecue, you know, they're kind of legendary for their queue. So I'm looking forward to the food and uh, getting some, you know, it's all, I, I love blogging and podcasting, so it's always uh, great to go uh, to the different conferences that I go to every year to sharpen those skills. And we should always look at, sharpening those skills because over time they do get a little dull, but the good thing is that they're getting dull from use. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So looking forward to it. We've had an, an action-packed week, huh? The Black oh, Expo yes, was outstanding. <laughs> For those who missed it, you missed it. I guess that's just yeah. the best way to put it because it was well worth my time, uh, my energy, and just a beautiful uh, experience, rich in information, knowledge. Oh, my goodness. That is what people talked about was just how valuable the information is that the speakers have. And we're going to get into uh, the the Black Business Expo shortly, the Las Vegas Black Business Expo shortly, which was hosted by the Nevada Black Business Council because there was actually some serious new ground broken that potentially can really help launch this community into a much more positive and upward-moving direction because that black pastor's uh, panel on churches, the black churches, helping out in economic development, Mm, that was just powerful right there. That was a powerful panel. I tell you, the other powerful panel was to have six of our oldest and largest black organizations, 100 black women, 100 black men, uh, NAACP. Who else was there? It was several more of well, our black kids. Yeah, we, 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 we had quite a few of our black organizations that were represented. That uh, was a great I, I panel, it, though. That it was the great unity panel. panel. It was yeah. the unity panel because this was the first time that all of those black organizations had been under one roof on a panel to talk about what they can do collectively and how they could join forces to help move our work together and in a much more positive economic direction. I mean, that, that by itself could have been the forum. It was very encouraging to see um, our organizations up there uh, unified. And, you know, the moment wasn't missed on me that this rarely happens. I've never seen it happen. Um, And it it was a first for the Las Vegas community. So um, shouts out to Mr. Ernest Fountain and his team of which you're a part of, correct? Aren't you a part of the committee, Rodney? Uh, I was you a not part, of the, part of the committee that put the event on, but I am a okay. part of uh, the Nevada Black Business Council, which is the organization that uh, hosted the event. And this is well this was the fourth annual uh, Las Vegas uh, Black Business Expo. And it is something that it was hard to believe that in a city of conferences and conventions that Las Vegas did not have a black business expo. Mm-hmm. Of all places. We are number three. We're number two or three with conferences and and expos and, you know, large corporate meetings, large meetings. We we sort of specialize in it. Our our city is built a, around hospitality 
and it is kind of hard to believe that we don't have a black expo, but we did this week, and we those that attended those of us that attended were blessed uh with a lot of great information and you know the 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 best thing that we all came out with that I don't wanna um discount this. Uh, building each other up. As entrepreneurs, we're so busy sometimes keeping our nose to the grindstone and, you know, hustle, hustle, move, move, and, you know, let's get this deal done, let's pitch to this person. Uh, rarely do we have the opportunity to uh, break bread with one another and just be a source of encouragement. And it was so great to have young people there with us this week that really wanted our guidance and counsel and I I had I know you had quite a few walk up to you and talk to you about what they were doing um as entrepreneurs and uh what they would like to you know just offering themselves uh offering their services to enhance your business it was it was really a great uh, time. It was just nice to be around so many positive business owners and the information from the panelists, I I can't say enough about how great that was to get um, local, regional, as well as federal information that will grow your business. You know, what it takes is a person with a vision. Mm. Some people may call it even a dream. But it takes a person with that. And then it takes a certain level of communication and leadership to transform that vision into words and then from words into action. And the action part, is so key in this because we can have some of the best dreams and some of the best visions, and we can even articulate those things in such an awesome manner. But it has to transfer into action. And that's what this Las Vegas Black Business Expo showed was how when you work together, and though we want a lot of people to be a part of these committees to make these things happen, and hopefully we, we can get a lot of people to do that, ultimately if you have people who are committed, who are dedicated and focused, and set aside those things, those differences, it doesn't necessarily mean to ignore them, but it means to compartmentalize them in such a manner that it doesn't prevent the forward momentum, movement, when you can get those people to do that, that is so much power. And that was another part of this Black Business Expo that was impressive is simply the fact that we were able to have one, that we were able to put it together. And, yes, big shout-out to uh, Ernest Houghton from uh, New Ventures uh, Capital, who uh, is the chairman of the Nevada Black Business Council, but to all of those folks who were a part of the committee that put it on, 
And for those folks who work behind the scenes who may not have been able to attend the meetings but were just supporters. And then, of course, a big shout-out to the vendors because those vendors help fund it. And, yes, this stuff takes money. Uh, though it may be low cost to get in, I believe the fee was $10 a day. $10 a day for an entrepreneur, a business person, to come into a room full of other business people and entrepreneurs and full of people with knowledge to help them get their business started, to help them enhance their business, to help them find new products, new customers, new services. That was all at the Las Vegas Black Business Expo this week. And uh, for those of you who missed it, you missed it. But for those of you who, for those people who attended, uh, I had heard nothing but positive comments about the speakers. And though the attendance wasn't in the hundreds, one of the benefits of it being a smaller crowd was they had an opportunity to ask more questions, to get more information, and then they had more time to spend with the speakers. So the numbers, great numbers, weren't important as far as information being received because for those who were there, they can take that business and they can take that information back to their businesses and enhance them. And we had people who came from Minnesota. We had people from California. I mean, it was just Iowa. amazing how, how far. Yes, brother, in Iowa. Mm-hmm. I think the population just Iowa. dropped down to zero when they came out here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they shared with us that it's the, the black population in Iowa is like 3.5% or something, I, th- I believe he said to me. So it, it was it was very interesting. It was, it was a great conference, and it was great to be with um, successful entrepreneurs. Uh, one of the, you know, and I guess we'll, we'll just go ahead and, and start this this first phase, and we'll start it talking about the uh, Las Vegas uh, Black Business Expo. Uh, well, I tell you what. The Las Vegas Black Business Expo, they did mention Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Black Wall Street quite a mm-hmm. bit. So I tell you what, let's 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 stick with how, how we have it, and let, let's go to uh, Black Wall Street because that the phrase is mentioned a lot. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma is mentioned. Uh, I was talking to one gentleman who I believe his father was from Tulsa. And he said he had never heard of Black Wall Street. Wow, with had, family from Tulsa. Wow. Had no idea about Black Wall Street. And he said he had actually come to a gathering. And for those of you who may not know what the gathering is, uh, it's uh, was created by Mr. Sam Smith, founded by Mr. Sam Smith. Uh, of the Native Sun Bookstore. Uh, he was called the mayor of the bistro. We affectionately called him uh, the Oracle of Las Vegas, uh, a man from Philadelphia originally, New York later, and then spent uh, his remaining years here in the city of Las Vegas and how much better off we are for him being here. But Sam believed that people, and specifically black people, didn't spend enough time getting to know one another. Uh, not clubbing, uh, not in sport, 
but really just taking time to get to know each other. And Sam said, Rodney, come come over here. You need to be here. And the here was the Westside Bistro inside of Nevada Partners located at 710 West Lake Mead Boulevard in North Las Vegas. And uh, his whole concept was, he says, black people, not only don't we know each other, but we distrust one another. And he says, mm-hmm. we also sometimes talk towards one another as if we're enemies. He said, but we shouldn't see each other as enemies, nor should we talk to each other as enemies. We are and should be brothers and sisters and should be in the same team. And one of the ways that maybe we can help do that is simply getting to know one another. And he says, Rodney, sometimes when you just take the time to ask a person their name, where they're from, what do they do, might start a conversation that will lead to two people who otherwise would have literally passed each other and not said anything to getting to know each other. And that could potentially lead to them doing something together or being able to help one another out. So very simple, very basic philosophy, and that was almost seven years ago. And just about every Friday that the Westside Bistro has been open, there's been a gathering of people there, mostly black, but others have come, mostly Democrats, but libertarians, Republicans, uh, conservatives, Tea Parties have come because Sam opened it up to everyone, and that's the way it's been. The only thing that we've ever had that you bring a hearty appetite for the food and a hearty appetite to get to know someone more than you did when you entered those, entered those doors, and that when you leave, you leave full of the food and full of the information that was presented by those people. Players. That was it. Pretty simple, and but pretty powerful. So it is the ability of black people to be able to talk with black people, which once you can talk, you can get comfortable, and then maybe you can do different things with them, whether it's work in the community or business. Well, business is built on relationships, and you have to establish relationships with people. You have to establish relationships with business. And that's what Sam tried to do with the uh, the gathering, as we affectionately call it. So there's your background on the gathering. But I had uh, met someone who had never heard of uh, Black Wall Street. And he actually started, uh, he said one of the reasons why he came and continued to come to the gathering was because of the information that he was able to glean that he had not been exposed to growing up nor had he learned about it in school, whether public school, K-12, or during his time in colleges and universities. And Sam always told us, bring some paper. Bring some paper. Now, that paper could be in something that you copy. It could be in a magazine, a newspaper, a book. He said, bring some paper. Have something to support whatever you're going to say. He said, it's so easy for people to just give opinions. And opinions are okay. But he says, if you're representing your opinion as fact, then bring something to back up that opinion. So bring some paper. 
So what Sam was doing was encouraging us to read, and then he was encouraging, encouraging us to share what we read, and then that would go on to edify us and to help solidify whatever point that we were trying to make, even if it was just trying to inform some someone of some new information that was found. And that has gone on for coming on seven years. So every year when we've done this show about Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, there have been people who've said, I did not know about that. I thought that black people never had anything more than what we have today. I did not know that way back then black people owned those types of businesses. Well, yes, black people were, were doctors, lawyers, uh, and and black people literally owned the trade back then because, let's face it, this country was founded off of slavery, which had a lot to do with commerce as well as racism, but it was founded off of slavery. So all of the jobs that were being done, all of the trades, obviously, were being done by black people. So when slavery was over, guess who knew how to do all of the trades? It was black people. It wasn't until later with the establishment of unions that you started seeing the trade switch hands. And now it's hard for black people to get into trades today because of some of the barriers that unions represent and some other things, and also our outlook. But those are the types of things that we talk about at the gathering. And Black Wall Street, every, every year, we not only talk about it on the radio, but we also talk about it at the gathering, as we did uh, yesterday at the gathering, which was at TC's Rib Crib, because on the fifth Friday of each month, we uh, go to TC's Rib Crib, supporting black business and uh, making sure that, that we spend time there and that we discuss. discuss. And we pretty much had a similar discussion there as we're having today on the radio about Black Wall Street and the uh, uh, Black Business Expo. So that gives you a little bit of background on all of the things that we had first mentioned. Black Wall Street was it's just an area, a historic area, and it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, normally, I don't think, well, I know I did not associate Oklahoma and black people. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't associate Iowa or New Hampshire or Maine with black people. Not to say that they're not there because we're everywhere, but it's just not what we normally or what I would normally associate. So, who you know, we hear, we've heard about the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, we've heard a little bit about some things that happened in the South. Uh, of course, we hear about Detroit, and everybody knows about Chocolate City in D.C., right? But who would have thought that Oklahoma would be the center of commerce and economy for black people back in the day? But it was mm-hmm. And a one of the biggest, one about, of the best. A little background about Tulsa is Tulsa, uh, which was a part of the Oklahoma Territory, wasn't like your big city. Uh, Tulsa actually came about uh, partially because of a horrendous act by one of our presidents who made no longer be on the $20 bill, <laughs> but <laughs> came about partially because of the Trail of Tears and the removal of the five civilized tribes 
from the East Coast and pushing them out towards the Oklahoma Territories, which was considered, you know, deep in the West yep. at the time because our country was only so big. And on the Trail of Tears, we had the five civilized tribes that were forced marched out of the East and towards the West to the Oklahoma Territory. Well, what a lot of people didn't realize is that it wasn't just Native Americans who were being forced out on that march of the Trail of Tears, but there were also black people. And that was part, it wasn't the absolute, but that was a part of black people getting in Oklahoma and really part of the development of Black Wall Street. Absolutely, uh, and for those that don't, that aren't from, I'm sorry, I just wanted to let no, the ahead. listeners know who the five civilized tribes are: the Cherokee, Chick, Chickasaw, Chick, Chickasaw Creek, and Choctaw. Uh, Choctaw, I'm sorry, um, Creek and Sonoma. So, am I saying that? I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but those are the five Seminoles. civilized tribes. Seminole. Right, and what's interesting about the Seminoles is that the Seminoles were not a, uh, they were not a natural group of people. When I say natural, I mean it wasn't just that they were here. The Seminoles were actually a part of the Mississippi Delta people, the natives Mm -hmm. that were there, who uh, merged with Slaves and freemen, escaped slaves, and that is what that is where the, the Seminoles came from. Uh, many of them may have referenced them in Florida because they uh, trying to uh, they they had battles against the uh, soldiers at the time and were undefeated. So oftentimes when we think of uh, these military people, yes, they did do quite a bit to ultimately destroy most of the native population in the, in this country, but the seminal group of people were, were undefeated. But they were also a part of this Trail of Tears and this forced march to Oklahoma. So it was just natural that you would have black people that settled in the Oklahoma territories, and then you had black people who, who obviously came there. And uh, the Oklahoma Territory was actually considered uh, Indian Indian Territory. Uh, So it wasn't, they were sending them to what they believed was the wilderness and to get rid of them and survive as best you can, but you got to get out of here. Funny, they never got that over was, that theory of uh, you go t- you go too far out past the horizon, you just fall off, huh? And they just, well, I don't know what's over there, but you'll perish, I'm sure. It's nothing over there. Yeah, and same you know, theory that the, they sailed over here with, right? That's right. And some of those, some of the black people were actually a, a, just regular the black folks were actually adopted uh, by the uh, uh, these native. Uh, tribe and became, mm-hmm. you know, became their family. Uh, so, but the important thing about this to note is that 
these they didn't just go there into the wilderness, so to speak, and give up and die. They went there and they built. They made the best of a bad situation. I wanted to point that out because there are some bad situations going on today. And oftentimes the talk is just on the bad situation. And what these people did was, I'm sure they did quite a bit of talking about it, and they had a long walk to do a lot of talking. But once they got there, they did a lot of doing. They didn't just talk. They were doers. And they made things happen. As a matter of fact, when you look at what happened in Tulsa around that area after 1907, hey, they found oil. oil. That's true. It was oil. a big oil boom during um, 1910 in the, air, the northeast east area of Oklahoma around Tulsa. Uh, that's right. And so they sent them to this to the Oklahoma territories out west, to the wilderness, right? To and perish. Wild and they hit oil. <laughs> they, hey, they struck black gold. Texas and that's very appropriate because those black right. people struck black gold in the wilderness. Now, obviously a lot of the black people weren't in a position to take advantage of that, but it was the fact that with this oil boom, it brought more people not only Tulsa, but the surrounding areas. And because of that, there was a lot of commerce going on. And when we think about commerce, what we're really saying is there was cash flow. There was money in motion. People needed goods and services, and they needed money to exchange for those goods and services. So cash flow is king. Money is good, but the money has to move. And there was a lot of movement of that money in the Oklahoma Territory, in Oklahoma, once this uh, this oil was struck. So sometimes I wish I could just go back in time and show that president and those people who force marked those five civilized tribes and black people from the Mississippi Delta area out uh, west into the wilderness and say, look what you did. Now, I'm glad that they didn't know that oil would be there and that oil would be so valuable because it's a good possibility they wouldn't have sent them there. But sometimes you have to take a bad situation and make the best of it. And these people took a bad situation and they made the best of it. And a part of them making the best of it was working together, not fighting with one another, but all right, I want to survive. You want to survive. Let's get to know each other. Let's find out what our strengths and weaknesses are, and then let's capitalize on our strengths, and let's uh, share resources when it comes to our weaknesses. And so then you had this dynamic area that started to flourish. Now, part of what led to this flourishing is the fact that Oklahoma was one of the most segregated states in the nation at the time. And blacks and whites, they didn't mix. Now, we're talking about roughly uh, moving up from 
the oil boom of 1910, moving up a little further to 19, from that period, from 1910 of the oil boom to 1921. Uh, because during that period, the segregation laws were just horrendous. Horrendous and forced most of the um, African-American community of Tulsa and, and in the state of Oklahoma to only shop in their communities. It, it kept us corralled with each other. Uh, yeah, because Pretty the, amazing. the white didn't want to do business with the black, and the blacks were forced Legally to pushed out and not allowed to do business with others due to segregation. But not to be, not to be deterred, they did business with one another. And mm-hmm. when I say doing business with one another, you know, you couldn't go see the white doctor, so they needed doctors. If he needed a lawyer, you couldn't go to the white lawyer. You had so they had to have lawyers. So because of necessity, which is really the mother of most invention, right? Believe it or not, it's necessity, which is a part of the will to survive. And some people say laziness, <laughs> because laziness sometimes pushes you to fi- to innovate, to find ways to do things better and more effectively. I like to say, no, it's not laziness. It's just our pursuit to be able to do more with less. But those are the things that, that push these people to to do business with each other. Uh, today we hear a lot of folks say that uh, desegregation back in the 60s was a failure because after desegregation we started doing less business, business with one another. And I push back and say, no, it's not that desegregation was a failure because we needed to be legally desegregated. It was the choice of the people that may have led to a less than desirable outcome even up to today. But the segregation needed to happen because there, at that time there was no such thing as separate but equal. You were separate and you were not considered equal in order to get equal treatment, in order to have equal access. You couldn't live where you wanted to live. You couldn't You couldn't even drive where you wanted to drive. There were so many things that were restricted from black people. Uh, you couldn't vote like other people with the freedoms that, that they had. So, no, desegregation wasn't the problem. Maybe it was what happened after that. And I say, when one group of people do something and achieve something, then it's up to the next generation to build off of that something. And sometimes things may not work out. Well, that's okay because it's new, Right then be like the people in Greenwood, be like the people in Tulsa. Hey, it's a bad situation. Things didn't quite work out for us. What do we need to do to make it work for us? And then go about the business of making it work. Well, the people in Tulsa, even though they were dealt some bad cards, because they got sent to the wilderness, they got forced march, which is not a good thing. Uh, They were very, the people were very sick. I mean, it wasn't like it, it was the best of times. It was the best of weather. They had the best supplies. No, it was basically you leave it now, grab what you grab, as you're being forced out at gunpoint, and you're marching 
leaving much of your life behind you, go into this place that you have no idea what it is or, for that matter, even where it is, that this is going to be a new home. So they took that, one of the worst situations you can be in, and they took the lemons and they made some very tasty lemonade. And that lemonade ultimately became to be uh, known as Black Wall Street. Absolutely. I mean, just to paint a, a, a little bit of a picture of what it what it was like, there was a um, there was Detroit Avenue along the edge of Standpipe Hill uh, that contained a number of high end houses belonging to doctors, lawyers and business owners. Uh, also, the building on uh, Green, there was a building on Greenwood Avenue which housed the offices of almost all of Tulsa's black lawyers, realtors, doctors, and other professionals. Uh, at the time of the unrest, there were 15 well-known black American physicians, one of whom, Dr. A.C. Jackson, was considered the most able Negro surgeon in America. Mm. They Say, that again, Angela. Say that He's again, Angela. Say that again. The whole thing? Cause no, that Dr. part about Dr. A.C. Jackson was considered the most able Negro surgeon in America. Hmm. So not only did we didn't not only did we have doctors and lawyers, but we also had surgeons and a very prominent surgeon at that. And you guys, look him up, Google him, and read his story, because mm-hmm. his life and his success, because his, obviously back then there weren't a whole lot of surgeons, uh, but if you look at his story and how he was able to uh, become a surgeon, what it took for him to become a surgeon, and then the successes that he had, even with those successes, they still tried to hold the brother back. So definitely look look into that and read the story. Now, I also want to tell you guys that one of the reasons why you had so many people coming to Oklahoma and how black people also got there is you, you had a land rush. Uh, because, again, Tulsa was a territory. And with the growing of uh, the country, there was a need for more land. Uh, there was a need for more timber. There was just a need of more resources. So... They had the uh, uh, basically they had the land run, and that was hey this land is available, and we want you know you Americans you business people settlers people looking for uh, something more in life we want you to go and get this land, and the way that they did the land uh, for most people anyway, or, or for the majority population I'll put I'll put it that way for this particular land rush. You can just go out there and homestead. In other words, it was, hey, I'm going, I'm here, this is mine. First come, first serve basis, you could purchase the land. And they, they did it by uh, a lottery. So, and some of them did it by other means, not so positive. Mm-hmm. Now, this land, though, and this has just been a common thread in America. This, this Remember, the five civilized tribes had been pushed out of the Mississippi Delta area, the East Coast, and they had been pushed into the wilderness. Well, guess what? Now the wilderness 
is property of America, that America decides that this land where they force these people to go to, these Native Americans and blacks to go to, that we're now going to give a portion of that land away to other Americans. Just think about that. They pushed them into the wilderness. They settled the land. They made something of the land. And now America decides that it's going to have a land rush and give away, grant, sell this property to first on a first-come, first-served basis. How would you like to have a, a, a house where you've been living in for years? You built it, struggled. Settled the land. I, you know, I don't know much about farm life, but I have seen and read about how much effort went into uh, the settling of land. I'm out here in the desert. There's some areas that uh, could be built upon, but, you know, there's a lot of natural habitat, we'll put it there. And to think of the effort that had to go into settling the land so that you could do anything with it, whether it's strike oil or build, um, um, what is it, Greenwood Avenue, I mean Detroit Avenue, uh, Green Greenwood uh, Avenue, in a span of 11 years. So 1910 they hit oil around there. And by 1921, Tulsa, Oklahoma had about 3,200 members of the Ku Klux Klan. So in a span of 11 years, we had oil, we had settling of the land. Well, we settled the land, we struck oil, we made these areas uh, homes to multimillionaire. These weren't just millionaires, they were multimillionaires. It was uh, Greenwood uh, Avenue was home to the Tulsa Star newspaper and the Oklahoma Sun, which covered not just what was going on in Tulsa, but what was going on across the country uh, and regionally. Uh, the building was destroyed during the riots. Greenwood was destroyed. It, it also had a thriving religious community, 12 churches, 12 black American churches. Many Christian youth organizations and religious societies Um, you know, twelve I, churches. That I, that's that's pretty substantial. That was that was more than thriving, and that was more than surviving. That was thriving. Now I wanted to point out something that everybody knows. When you say Sooners, and it's associated with sports. Mm-hmm. That's today. That's what we think about. But as we are in a time where we're grappling with professional sports teams being named after Native Americans and how that to Native Americans all the time is not a positive thing. Well, Oklahoma, I believe it's Oklahoma State University or the University of Oklahoma, they're called the Sooners. Now, Angela, have you ever wondered 
why they're called the Sooners. I mean, I thought it was an odd name, and I wondered for years. And it wasn't until I read the story of Black Wall Street that I learned why it's called the Sooners, why they're called the Sooners. And the reason why they're called the Sooners is because when they had this uh, Indian uh, Reappropriation Land Act, in other words, when they took a land from the natives again, and gave it away and sold it to American and others, is there was a clause that was in the act. I believe it was Grover Cleveland who who, uh, authored this thing, or at least signed it, that if you came before the official opening date of this uh, land deal, that you could not lay claim to any land. But in order for them to transact this granting of land and the selling of land and all of that, there are certain people who had to get there first to set things up. And uh, a lot of these people who came in were deputy marshals, land surveyors, railroad employees, and they were allowed to legally enter into the territory. Now, there were also those who crossed in uh, the territory illegally. Now, originally they were called moonshiners, moonshiners, excuse me. But they were also Sooners as well. And they hid so that they wouldn't be caught. That way they could stake a claim to land earlier than everyone else and claim that as theirs. So that is the origin of Sooners. So when we think of the University of Oklahoma, the Sooners, now you know why they're called the Sooners. And it's not a good thing. It's people who did something, uh, in some cases, illegally to get an advantage and then use that advantage for personal gain. There was a, a Facebook post, uh, I believe it was on one of Brother Barry's uh, pages, and it asked, what thing, what law would you break if you could? And I remember thinking about that, and I, at first I said, well, I'm not going to break any law. And what I interpreted from this was how so many people have broken laws and used it to their advantage for personal gain, and oftentimes it's folks from the majority population, and then change the law to their benefit. Uh, an example of something similar was think about the amount of people in America, and black people specifically, who've been locked up for the sale, uh, possession, sale, and distribution of marijuana. Maybe tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of of people and black people, right? Well, I don't know if people realize that the most street dealer, drug dealer, only makes about $20-some-thousand a year. That that person on the street is selling drugs, is not getting rich off of selling drugs. But they go to jail for an inordinate amount of time, and a whole bunch of them will go to jail. Now, the people who made the big money, Sometimes we're in suits and working in the corporate offices, 
Most of the time, they never did any jail time. Well, guess what? Now the laws have been changed so that those people who formerly broke the law and oftentimes had the poor acting as their minions and who oftentimes suffered for it by being the ones arrested and going to jail, some of those same people who were at the top of that food chain have now changed the laws so that marijuana can be sold in some places for medicinal purposes and in other purposes for recreational use. And they're taking their money, oftentimes their ill-gotten gain, to be the ones because they set the law up saying that you have to have X amount of money to get it. Oh, and by the way, you can't have certain uh, drug offenses on your record. You can't have felonies. They've used that to establish now formerly illegal uh, operations into legal enterprises that they're in a better position to take advantage of and reap the benefits. Now, I don't recommend people going out there and breaking the law. As a matter of fact, what I'd encourage you to do is understand how the law works, understand how people use it for their advantage, and also be prepared to insert yourself into the process to make sure that you get the laws that you need to help out you and your own people. So this Indian Land Redistribution Act, which gave us the term Sooners, which allowed people to come into the former Oklahoma Territory and take what had been the wilderness where oil had been discovered later, right, uh, fertile land, now take that from the same people that they forced out of their lands in the first place. That's why I started out the show with that song, Living in America. So there's some strange things that happened in America. Not only hit land, I mean hit oil, but also build valuable real estate property, uh, develop and and start to implement uh, businesses such as medical facilities, uh, real property, homes, office buildings. You know, all of this was already up and working. Hmm. Already up and working. And this is where the, the Black Business Expo somewhat merges because the Black Business Expo here in Las Vegas was about uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses uh, trying to establish themselves and also trying to expand what was already established. And sometimes, again, we talk about vision early and then transferring that vision into words and then from words into actions. Entrepreneurship and small businesses have always been the engine, and even to this day, that has propelled this country into an economic powerhouse. And it was no different back then because during this Oklahoma land rush, there was an entrepreneur named uh, O.W. Gurley. And he found out about this opportunity, and he gave up a presidential appointment from Grover Cleveland and decided to strike out on his own and participate in this uh, land rush. So in 1906, he purchased his 14 acres, and, or excuse me, his 40 acres, and he became a landowner. Now, he purchased his 40 acres. He purchased. He promised purchased our 40, 40 acres and a mule. 
and he went ahead and purchased his. Well, uh, he went ahead and, and claimed his because he could have waited on that 40 acres in a mule, but as you all know, most of us didn't get that 40 acres in we a mule. We're still waiting. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, Dr. King had given gave an estimate of how much 40 acres and a mule would have been worth uh, back in the 60s. If if black people had gotten their 40 acres and a mule, how much it would have been worth when they got it, how much it would have been worth in modern times. And then there's been some recent analysis that has said, okay, well, if they had gotten that 40 acres and a mule, in today's dollars, in today's dollars, that 40 acres and a million going to black people would be worth roughly $17 trillion, somewhere between 13 and $17 trillion. Wow. Can you imagine that much wealth in the black community over those numbers of years? Sure, How I could imagine it, but it's sad that I, I still have to imagine it. Well, Mr. Gurley, he didn't wait for his 40 acres and a million. He moved to Tulsa and purchased his 40 acres of land. Now, there was a special provision that certain, there was, I guess you could say, a set-aside, which mandated that 40 acres could only be sold to colored people. And that's why black people were called at the time. Hmm. And he had, once he purchased his land... He actually started a what used to be called a rooming house. Some people call it a boarding house. And he did it near a railroad track. And that road later became (laughs) named Greenwood Avenue. (laughs) And Greenwood was actually named uh, after a city in Mississippi. Now, this area became very popular for African-American, black people, who left Mississippi under the oppression that was going on there, and you all have seen the movies about Mississippi. And basically their refuge was in what was forming to be Greenwood and Mr. Gurley's uh, rooming house. Now, in on Greenwood Avenue, there was no real racial persecution going on because it was all black people there. They didn't persecute themselves. They welcomed and opened the door to themselves. And so not only did he have the 40 acres, he bought an additional 80 acres. Wow. Uh, the church founded a church. It was the, the Vernon AME Church. That. So it shows that one person with a vision and a will to do can make a difference. By him establishing, buying his 48, right, giving a chance, giving Mm -hmm. us a nice cushy job, I'm guessing, anytime you have a job appointed by the president, gave that up. This is the truest sense of an entrepreneur. He gave up the comfort and he moved to maybe what wasn't so comfortable to try and his hand at building something for himself. Uh, his 40 acres, he put a boarding house up on it. He strategically located that to where a bunch of people would be, which was by this railroad track. And then the black people who happened to be fleeing for a better life 
King to, of all places, Oklahoma and Tulsa, and seeing the rooming house, took refuge there and provided income. And then this is the start of Greenwood, as we typically hear about it, as Black Wall Street. And he, uh, he wasn't the only entrepreneur of his day. There were others. And they looked for an opportunity to improve things economically. And the way that they did that is they pooled their resources and worked together and supported each other's businesses. They bought even larger tracts of land in Tulsa. And then they sold the land that they purchased exclusively to black people. Imagine that, black people working together. That's what they did in Tulsa. Sort of sounds like Mr. Uh, uh, Edmonds' story, what he shared with us John about Edmonds. how he, John Edmonds, uh, securing the Edmonds Town Center here in, in Las Vegas. Sounds very similar. Uh, you know, uh, history is so important because history can, you know, obviously it teaches you your past, but it also gives you an insight into your future. And a blueprint to the future, that's right. And the idea is to take the good things of history and repeat it and then avoid the bad things of history. So you, but first you have to know the history to make that happen. And so they, these people who came, they pooled their resources. Next thing you know, you had a hotel that was going up. And they did this in one area. In other words, they didn't build something here and then go who knows where and build something else. They mm-hmm. clustered their businesses, and that, that's a concept in business is clustering. They clustered their businesses, and then those businesses kind of thrived off of each other. And then one thing led to another. And, of course, if you have all of these people here, they needed a place to stay. If they needed a place to stay, you know, they were very religious, so they needed a place of worship. If they need, you know, then they needed some place. They wanted some newspaper. They wanted to know what was going on. Going they wanted on. entertainment. So they, you know, next thing you know, you started having cafes coming up. Uh, you started, hey, maybe we need a uh, place to play pool. So they had billiards parlors, and before you know it, there's barbershops, cigar stores, all the things that make up a community. And that's how Greenwood, that's part of the establishment of Greenwood. And because of their self-sustaining and exclusive blackness, they kept building and building and building until Greenwood became almost the financial mecca for black people. And because you did have doctors, lawyers, uh, other professionals living in this area, the folks even from the Harlem Renaissance, which we think of more involving arts and entertainment, well, they were making money, but guess where they came? They came to Greenwood. And then they invested their money there. And, of course, Greenwood grew even more. Now, that's part of how Greenwood became a financial powerhouse. The 
there's another part of the story that takes a turn. And it wasn't a positive turn. But the story of Greenwood and how they develop themselves is a story that should resonate with us today because they didn't let having little stop them from creating a lot. Right. They didn't see it as a stop sign. At best, it was a yield sign, and then they devised a plan, and they pooled their resources. And no matter where where you go to read stories about the creation of Greenwood and the greatness of Greenwood, what you constantly hear is how they pooled their resources and how they worked together to build up Greenwood into Black Wall Street. Basically, a no-street area that became a road. It wasn't even developed. It was wilderness, right? That's right. <laughs> All wilderness. Took it from wilderness to the home, the Mecca, for the preeminent African-American surgeon to live and build and grow his business and other multimillionaires. That term, to me, just every time I read about it, it just sticks out so glaringly. They weren't millionaires. They were multimillionaires, a whole community of them. When you think about commercial buildings in your own communities right now, um, how many of them in any of our communities can we honestly say housed 15 doctors? How many buildings do we have in our community now house the doctors, the lawyers, the realtors, and other professional service and product providers uh, in in one area? You know, Angela, when you think about how they cluster their businesses together, for the betterment of their community and for survival. It just goes to show that no matter how hard someone falsely tries to hold you down and persecute you, if you believe in yourself, for some, if you believe in a higher power, you think about it, you speak it, and then you take those words and parlay it into action that there's really no circumstance that the human spirit can't overcome. Can't overcome and hasn't at some point in time already overcome, where we have living, breathing examples of how we've overcome these things, the exact same circumstances. So when I see our young people and young at heart people uh, marching and, and looking to right some wrongs today, you know, it makes you, well, it makes me think about some of these history lessons that we've talked about on this platform and just history lessons I've I've read on my own and, you know, throughout my my life. It, 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 it puts you in the mind of some of these history lessons. What else can we be doing based off of our history? 
I, w- I was speaking with a young man at the Las Vegas Bike Business Expo, and it was mentioned, actually it was a young lady, and she talked about how she really didn't read history. Mm-hmm. And that really struck me because she's an entrepreneur, a business person, and it just made me wonder, did she even know about Greenwood and Black Wall Street? And, of course, really didn't, and started explaining a little bit of it to her and the importance of why we have to know it. And she was just so surprised, almost shocked, but Mm. motivated. And history is important, and we have to know it. Uh, We have to share it. And the olders, older folks need to share it with the younger folks. Mm-hmm. And I hope that the younger folks will just receive what the older folks are willing to share with them. Because you know, that was the older folks to share. Yeah. Uh, it, that was the beautiful thing about uh, the expo this week, was that there were both of both of those elements there. There were older people ready and willing to share and move out of the way, you know, because there were... There were plenty there expressing that we're ready, we w- we're willing, but you know some are unwilling to you know un move off the throne, I guess, move out the doorway, and help me up this path, help me to get the experience I need to take it over, because we got next, you know. It, it was just nice to see the old the. Those of us that are older, being willing to open, not only just open it up, but um, help these young people get on the path and, you know, further up the path, those that were on the path already. It was just a nice environment this week to kind of replenish, uh, for me, it just replenished my uh, spirit. And as I, you know, journey into a new venture, as an entrepreneur, starting this new cosmetic company, which was well received, and uh, at the expo, and um, just exciting. It was exciting to share the history and hear about what I hope to 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 uh, what I hope will be new histories that we'll be talking about in, at future expos. Remember at the fourth annual Black Expo when Amped Cosmetics launched and now look at them. I hope that's the story. Mm. Well, as Tulsa up until this point was a story of two peoples, black and white, Mm-hmm. almost side by side geographically uh, achieving a certain level of success. The Black Wall Street became, or it, it really wasn't uh, Tulsa and in the area just happened to be where Greenwood, Archer, and Pine intersected uh, became so popular that there was a little bit of a uh, there were some folks who were disgruntled on the other side. So they were looking at those black people thrive. 
Now, this is something that you don't get in the history book because oftentimes the victor is the one who tells the history, right? And we were the slaves of white people. So, obviously, their versions of the story is going to be different from ours. But it's good to have ours because it's our perspective. Well, there were some other things that were going on. Not only did, were they watching this area that was a, a pile of dust originally, not only were they watching it thrive, but there was also segregation between the two, a distrust, and there had been lynching of black people by white. Oftentimes on trumped-up charges or no, no charges at all. I mean, if you think about the parallels of what was going on back then in Greenwood and some of the things going on today with the Black Lives Matters movement, is that you're seeing almost a repeat of history. Uh, there's some differences, but there are a lot of similarities. There's a lot of mirroring, uh, today, yeah. They're shooting us. Back then, they were lynching us. And not only were they lynching mm-hmm. the men, and they, they lynch women too now. They, they didn't uh, have any problems with hanging women, but they also would rape the women and uh, because they saw them as less than. Thank goodness for the people in slavery and the people back in Greenwood in those times when they saw these atrocities being inflicted on our people, they didn't blame the victim for what had been done to them. As a matter of fact, they embraced them still in the community or back in the community. It was not a stigma attached to them. It was not seen as weakness. It was seen as, hey, they didn't have the power. Collectively, they didn't have the power. But the folks in Greenwood got tired of it. And they started raising their voices. And, of course, when you are an oppressed people, the oppressor does not want to hear dissent, especially when the oppressed people are doing so well that they're starting to be known not only nationally but internationally. Right. Well, the people in Greenwood decided to voice uh, their dislike of the treatment that they are receiving. They were tired of the inequity, and they decided to fight that. And they fought back. I mean, after all, they own newspapers. You know, Tulsa, Oklahoma had multiple newspapers. Las Vegas, Nevada does not have one black Doesn't have one. At the moment. Yep. That's something to think about. Those people were able to do it then. So why can't we do it now? I say the only thing that's holding us back is ourselves. And if we want more, we have to do more. And then we have to support it. And that was the uh, big example that the Black Expo, the other big example it represented for me. Um, You have been going, you've been to all four, right? That's right. You're a day one person. And uh, Mm -hmm. this was my first one. And what I saw was a wonderful presentation, and I remember I kept saying to you, God, the speakers 
what great information. They've come into our community. Some are already members of our community, but there were quite a few who were not uh, members of our community and were so impressed with us, so impressed with us, and saw so much potential and saw so much great work already underway. If we could only see ourselves as they saw us, and we could build on that. And that's what this week also represented for me. Wow, what if we started to recognize what greatness we already have going here and build, continue to build on that, continue to build on that. And that's that's my goal. That's my my uh, journey from this point forward. I'm not, unless I'm out of town or some other unforeseen situation, I'm not going to miss another Las Vegas Black Expo. Um, very well done and, and worth the time spent. I've been to other folks' conferences that did nearly enrich me as much as this one did. So why not support your own? Every other group of people does it, and we see with the story of Black Wall Street the power that we have within ourselves to support and sustain ourselves and to advance mm-hmm. advance ourselves. Uh, we had we had more businesses then to sustain ourselves than we have in my city today of Las Vegas. Uh, like I said, they had newspapers. We don't have a newspaper. Uh, they had other things that were prominent uh, of need in that particular time that we don't have prominent need today. So, for example, we don't have a black-owned service station here in Las Vegas, and we all, most of us, commute in whatever form of work or movement is through vehicles that need gas, but yet we don't have what we need. Those folks back then in Tulsa, they knew, figured out what they needed, and then they went about the business of creating for themselves what they needed. And that's an attitude. That's It's a way of thinking that they had that we can have to. It's just a matter of will. And in some cases, knowing that it happened, I think sometimes we don't see it now, and because maybe we forgot or never knew our history, we don't see how it can be or don't realize that we actually have have it in us because we've done it before. Again, one of the benefits of of history. Well, as you all know, just as things go up, eventually they must come down. And the fame and greatness that was Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, located primarily on Greenwood, Archer, and Pine, it did have a fall. And that fall was not brought about because of people not properly running their businesses, that fall really came about, well, it had to do with someone telling us something that wasn't true about someone else. And in this case, it was the false allegation of a black boy, I believe I believe the story attributed to a uh, shoe shiner, who supposedly said words, looked the wrong way at a young white woman in an elevator. That's it. I mean, it was 
false allegations. This is words are so important and they're powerful. And false words are the same. They're important, they're powerful, but false words are also dangerous. And there was false words about supposedly a young black male looking, saying something, or whistling at a white woman, a white teen. Now, the fellow was, by some account, the charges were dismissed. Now, you would think that that would have been the end of it, but it wasn't. Because of this alleged assault. Now, some people say it was because he whistled that. Some people said it was because he just had a conversation with her, just actually saying hello. Some people said it's because he said she looked nice. Don't actually have, you know, I wasn't there. But the charges were dismissed. But, and one of the reasons why we did the show today, this time of the month in May, may have 31 days in it. Well, even though the charges were dismissed, there was a report in the newspaper, a newspaper, about this incident. And then that report in the newspaper spread. And as the report spread, more people began, white people became disgruntled, and ultimately, they began to, they, they wanted this boy who allegedly assaulted this woman. And, uh, well, they went after him. Mm. And it was the Tulsa Tribune that published a story in May 31st. And there was a lynch mob that wanted to take matters in their own hands. And they wanted to lynch, hang, slash kill this young man. This young man. And the name is attributed to the man as Dick Rawlins. And what happened was a group of armed white men uh, congregated outside the jail. Some African-American men joined an assembly of men to protect Mr. Rawlins. It's said that there was an argument between the white men because they tried to take the guns from the black men. That's right, those black men with guns. Kind of reminds you later on of the deacons of defense coming to the defense mm-hmm. of the black community. Uh, some shots went off uh, from the crowd of white people. The Black people shot back. You know, it kind of is reminiscent of what uh, Brother Malcolm said. You know, we need to protect our own. And white people uh, with a lot of guns went after the black people. And hence, you had what some people call a riot. Later, we know it as a massacre uh, because these uh, white people went and got more guns, and uh, there was a gunfight, 
uh, the law enforcement got involved. And, of course, you know which side law enforcement was on, pretty much the same side they're on today. Uh, National Guard, the National Guard was actually called in. They fought against the black people. And so you had black people, African Americans, from Greenwood who were being attacked by whites who normally were outside of this area who were supported by law enforcement and the National Guard. Mm -hmm. They came in and destroyed the black businesses, homes, you know, residents, looking for this person, Mr. Rawlin, and they didn't care whether you were man, woman, or child. They killed them all. (coughs) Uh, To this date, they don't have a total number of the blacks that were killed. Uh, Many of the black people who were defending themselves and some who were just black people wound up being detained for months. And a part of the story, which maybe was the basis of the song, is that it's alleged that there was bombs dropped on this community. Uh, Some people even suspect that it was something that was planned. In other words, they saw the prosperity in this community, and they didn't like it, and they wanted to get rid of it. And one of the reasons people who were witnesses at the time said they saw that the women and children were sort of standing around as if they were waiting for something. Uh, Hmm. Believe it or not, there was an airport at Greenwood that black people owned airplanes. The white people stole the airplanes, and they threw cocktail bombs and dynamite sticks onto the black people in the black community. Officially, they said 26 blacks were killed and 13 white people died. The American Red Cross estimated that there were over 300 people killed. And they listed over 8,000 people in need of assistance. They talked about the amount of infants that were stillborn during this period. Now, that's the downfall of it. There's a song by the Gap Band, and just so you know, the Gap is an acronym for Greenwood Archer and Pine. And they had a song called They Dropped a Bomb on Me. And even though the song was the lyrics seem to be talking about one thing. I've often wondered, was that song sort of a subliminal delivery of the message of the bomb that was dropped on Greenwood, Archer, and Pine, what we call Black Wall Street today? Now, normally we would say that's the end of the story, but it wasn't. 
even though there was the massacre of black people in Greenwood, March, excuse me, May 31st, it wasn't the end of the story. Because even though the people had been defeated, they had not been destroyed. Even though on May 31st of 1921, it started a riot, well, a lynch mob, a riot, and later a massacre, the folks of Greenwood, the black people, within five years, they rebuilt their neighborhood. They rebuilt their community. What they did was they mobilized the resources that they had, and they rebuilt. Tulsa, and this was in 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 this was after the riot and the massacre and the decimation of their very thriving community and laws that were put into place for them not to be able to rebuild and restructure their community back to its previous glory. They still did it. Still did it. Made it better. It was almost as if they rose from the ashes to be better. They did not They did not hold their hands. They did not go, woe is me. They did not go, this is what happened to me. They did not go, we can't do better. They did not say, well, if we rebuild, they'll just destroy it again. They did not look for ways to hold themselves back. They looked for ways to progress. So they rebuilt. And when they rebuilt, Greenwood became a hotbed for jazz, culture. It still was a forerunner in many good things for a community, and specifically a black community. And Greenwood basically thrived until the 1960s. And then in the 1960s, uh, things changed. Uh, a lot of people left. Uh, there was an urban renewal project. Of course, they decided to build the highway loop. And, of course, the place that they wanted to build that was in Greenwood, which displaced a bunch of folks. Uh, there's some parts of the original Greenwood in the Greenwood Historic District that's still there. Uh, they tried to do some things with national parks and do some other things to revitalize the area. There's a Greenwood Cultural Center uh, that I believe was dedicated in 1995, uh, trying to preserve the history of Greenwood. And there's also the uh, an effort to bring about reparations to the remaining people from the tragedy in Greenwood. Uh, that's a, still a, a project in work, uh, very similar to the, the act to, for the insurrection that happened in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Of course, we know that the black farmers in North Carolina still wait on their billion-dollar settlement. So even though when we win legally, that doesn't necessarily mean that we receive the money. Uh, what I say to people is don't wait on the government doing it for you, go about doing it for yourself. And if and when those government things happen, be ready to receive it. And I say the same thing today. Uh, don't wait for a government bailout. Don't wait like the big banks and the automobile companies. That's probably not going to happen to our communities, even if they say, say it will. 
it's what we do with ourselves. And to me, the legacy of Greenwood is that they didn't wait for someone else to do for them, for the things that they could do for themselves. The constant quotes that you read about Greenwood is how they pooled their resources and how they built collectively, how they did it together. The same things that can help us today help them back then. It's just a matter that they did it back then, and it's time for us to do it today. Uh, So that is some history on Greenwood, Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, that came about because of really the Trail of Tears, ultimately. Later finding black gold and then the pursuit of more land as the country expanded, and then a young entrepreneur who gave up a government appointment by the president and bought 40 acres of land and the willingness to provide roaming, a rooming house for blacks who were trying to flee the carnage that was happening in Mississippi. And he provided a place in the state, found a need, and he satisfied that need, and then he brought other people in, and then those people bought land. And then with that land, they decided to parse it out and sell it to only black people. And then they bought skills and trades, and they pooled their resources to develop all the things that they needed to become a thriving city, so much so that it was even recognized by communities abroad that wanted to do business with Greenwood. Let that be something that fuels us in how we see ourselves today, is that we can, we've done it before, and we can do it again if we'll simply do it. Uh, The other thing, and we're actually over our time, but as we've talked about Black Wall Street, we've sort of occasionally talked about the Las Vegas Black Business Expo that was hosted by the Nevada Black Business Council. There was about 38 people in attendance. Maybe 58 was a high point on the closing day. Now, normally when you think about expos, you think of hundreds, if not thousands, thousands of people. What I have to say for that is that you have to start someplace. And oftentimes you start where you are. And if you start with 30, maybe next year you can have 50. And if you have 50 next year, maybe the following year you can have 75 or 100. The key to this is that the Las Vegas Black Expo put on by the Nevada Black Business Council built it, and they've started to come. And though there were not as many black businesses represented as, of course, we would all like, the black businesses still came. There were black sponsors. There were black booth uh, folks out there with their wares selling them. We're going to try to take a lesson that of things that worked well and build off of those, the things that may not have worked out as we hoped. We're going to modify that so that next year it will be even better. Look at rearranging some things. We had great speakers. Uh, Angela talked about the black organizations that, for the first time, came together under one roof to talk about how they could pool their resources, enhance the Black Business Expo for next year, but also do work between now and next year to improve the general conditions 
especially from an economic standpoint, right here in our city in Las Vegas. They also had a panel discussion of black pastors to talk about how they can be part of the revitalization and the engine to improve black economics here in Las Vegas. One of the things that the pastors said that they will do is they will look at taking their some of their tithes and offerings and depositing them in a black-owned bank. Now, mind you, there is no black-owned bank in Las Vegas, for that matter, in the state of Nevada. But there are about 28 black-owned banks in the nation, now, which is a drop-off. But there are about, with one, and it used to be the largest in New York, I think it's called Carver or Greater Carver, but it's in trouble. The largest black-owned bank is actually in California. One of the next largest black-owned banks is in uh, Texas. And they're willing to reach out to one of those banks or some of those banks to see if they would be willing to set up a satellite branch office, a satellite office right here in Las Vegas. So instead of us having to create, which are some things that have been tried in the past, they're looking at, well, instead of creating it, we don't have to uh, recreate the wheel. The wheel is already built. How about reaching out to those that currently exist and then see what would it take for them to establish a satellite office here? So we're not talking a large branch. We're talking a satellite office. Uh, I brought that to the attention of the pastor's president, and they said that they were looking to it. I also asked them if they would take a leadership role into spreading this to their other pastors. And this particular panel was hosted by our very own uh, commissioner, Commissioner Lawrence Weekly, who's the only black commissioner on the uh, Clark County County Commission, possibly the most powerful political body in the state. And he sits on some very important boards as a chairman, the Las Vegas Conventions and Visit Authority. He sits on that board. As a matter of fact, I believe he chairs that board. Somebody fact-check me on that. He is and he the said chair. That he would do as of part. January, he became the chair. Well, that's huge. That on one of the huge. most powerful business entities in the state, there is a black man who sits as chairman of that entity. Huge. But it's only as good as we make it. He he can open the door for us, but we have to push you know, he can crack it. But we have to push it open fully and we also have to be willing to walk through the door. He can't do it all for us. And that's one of the things that he stressed. And we appreciate him for taking his time to come out because he didn't have to. And then he moderated the panel. And then there was a question and answer session. And we got some uh, some good responses from the panel as well as some good questions from the audience. That's the power that we have. And he talked about our potential power. He also talked about people showing up to those county commission meetings. Uh, going to the city council meeting, he said our presence is important. He said that if for nobody else it's important to him to look out in the audience and see people who look like him. He says because now we can see people who look like him on the county commission in himself and on one of the most powerful entities in the state of Nevada for business, the Las Vegas Conventions and Visitors Authority. Power right there. Uh, so not only are the churches now 
looking at moving, and the churches don't move by themselves because churches are made up of people. That's the congregations, and sometimes it takes the people to push on the leadership of the churches to do more. We ask the leadership of the churches represented to do their part, but I'm asking for those parishioners of those churches to push their leadership, to push their churches to do more. And one of the things is investing in a black-owned bank. Whether And if that means bringing one here, bring one here. If those two churches that were present, because it was two churches that were represented, and some people say that's not enough, but it was two, which was better than one, and definitely better than none. They said that they'll do their part. Now it's time for us as citizens, as congregation members, to do our part. After all, we're the ones who are giving them tithes and offerings, right? Let them hear our voice. Another good example here in the community of, of, you know, us working together to bring something that wasn't here before uh, to the forefront. We didn't have a black-owned beauty school here until um, expertise opened up, and now we have a new one right down the street from me on Craig Road. And we'll soon have a barber college here that is so desperately needed. You know, a lot of people hear the the name Las Vegas, and you come here, You you, you maybe if you haven't come here, but people tend to think of Las Vegas as this huge, huge entity, and they probably assume that a lot of things are already here that aren't here. But I... I you know, when people ask me what it's like to live in this community, I said it's the biggest small town in the world. That's the most, to me, that's the most accurate uh, description of Las Vegas. The reason I moved here was that it was so much, I saw so much ground floor opportunity here. Um, but it does take all of us uh, working hard and, and supporting one another when we get something up and running and going, go out and support it. I was um, at Grits yesterday, which is the cafe connected to our beauty school, and I, I took the time out to stop at the beauty school and get a printout of uh, the classes that they offer. I stopped in the boutique and bought something from the boutique, and every time I go there, the the men and women that are employed at those enterprises are always so nice and so happy to see me and the others that are there uh, keeping those doors open it's key that we stick together and and patronize one another uh, in our efforts to employ one another and, and have great thriving businesses in the community and and we can do it. I often think about Devin Moore with his promotion business over at Blue Martini that has become a must-go-to place for people, uh, you know, the urban community on Sunday night and people who come from out of town. Out of who, town, yeah. You know, that's that's like on the stop. If you're going to hang out, oh, well, we on Sunday night we're going to Blue Martini. It's almost a given. So people sometimes took little to nothing, and then they made it into to something. So black business, uh, when we talk about jobs here 
and we're not being hired. Well, the reality of it is is that it's businesses hire people who oftentimes look like themselves. That's just the way we work as human beings. So the more businesses that we have, the more of our people that we will hire. Because it's not likely that if a family member, it's not likely that a family member will not hire a family member first before they hire right. someone else. That's how it works. So when we say, well, we need them to give us more jobs, do we actually expect them to overlook their own people so that they can hire us? When we have the ability to create jobs and then to to create businesses, which create jobs, right, and then from that, that creates a demand for labor, which we in turn hire the labor. And oftentimes it is the middle class who who does this. They're the ones who have the means. They're oftentimes the ones who have the education. And then from those businesses, because ultimately even folks who are not as well off, if they're able to start a business, their goal is for that business to thrive so that they can move into the middle class, so that they can move into the uh, enterprise class. That is the goal, not to stay stagnant. So the Black Business Expo, the Las Vegas Black Business Expo, there was the panels that were good. I was on the panel for uh, black media. It was myself, uh, Ramon Savoy, uh, Kimberly Bailey Thoreau. We had a new lady in town, Peggy Dotson from New York, who's bringing the, I believe it's the Urban Broadcasting Channel. To Las Vegas. To and Las Vegas. Yep, studio and, she, and all. Absolutely. So we Super are exciting. moving, but in order for her to be successful, we will have to support her. We will have to watch it. We will have to buy advertising. And the, the, the theme of the black media panel was we cannot run things for you free if we cannot keep our business doors open. And the way we keep our business doors open is we need the business community to advertise with us. And when you when the business community advertises, because most of us set aside space for community uh, public affairs announcements, PSAs. But we have to have the foundation, a base of advertising. How can we get the word out about your event when your event has less people than you would like for it to have? Maybe that's because we don't have a black newspaper that comes out weekly where you could have advertised your event. Maybe it's because our own voices didn't get a chance to advertise your event. Maybe if other people had supported our own voices with business ads, that we would have had a vehicle for you to deliver your free message of your community service or activity. That's the way it works. Nothing is truly free. Everything always has a cost. Though it may be free to you, that space is costing me. It's cost, it was costing Ramon. It cost Kim. And it will cost Peggy. So we have to put things in perspective. If we want it, we have to be willing to pay for it in dollars, our treasure, but also in time and effort. That's what we do. 
Uh, there was many great panels and panel discussions. The panel on export, when they said that only 1% of American businesses exported, and when you think of the billions of dollars that's made on that, a lot of export, export opportunities. Uh, our own voices is going to try to partner with some other entities, and we're going to try to bring that brother back to educate us and maybe do some workshops on how more of us can export our goods. Uh, Angela's lipstick line would be a great product to be exported. Well, there's ways that we can do that, and they can help show us some shortcuts and open the doors. Uh, there was uh, Sylvia Smith from the uh, National Coalition of, I believe, 100 Black Women. She made reference to the plight of black women and said black women's net worth a few years ago was $1. Today it's $5. Yes, yeah, an increase of 500%, but, heck, when you're starting with almost zero. But, you know, we'll take the game, but we have to build on it and do much more and do better than that. And one of the ways we can do it is with black business. And I hope that you'll attend the Las Vegas Black Business Expo next year. And uh, please contact us and try to find out more about some of the speakers and opportunities from this year. And do you have anything else you want to close us out with? Uh, no. Just had a great week. Looking forward to the week coming. And we'll see you guys next Saturday. Well, thank you all for joining us on another episode of Our Own Voices Live. Today we talked about uh, Black Wall Street, its rise, a massacre, which led to the temporary fall, but then how it rose to the ashes like a phoenix to become even better than it was before. Uh, we also talked about the Las Vegas Black Business Expo that happened this week, uh, just full of information, and we got to see some unity in the community with our pastors and their efforts in economic development, and also in six black organizations coming together under one roof for the first time. We can do it. It reminds me of my mother. You can do it, Rob. You can do it. Well, we can do it. If we do it, it's up to us. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. And that's 3.30 out east. We hope that you will join us then. You can listen to the podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on, uh, you can do a search for us. And please, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, share this with your friends. Let's get the word and let's educate people that we have had businesses we can, and were successful, how they did it, and how we can do it today. Thank you again for joining us. Angela, we'll talk to you soon. Everyone else, take care. Enjoy your weekend. And take time to do some research on Black Wall Street. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.